Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, Justin Chesham of Christopher Newport University Men's Soccer and I welcome Nate Bell, the founder and executive director of Park Slope United and Brooklyn United in Brooklyn, New York. Nate started the club in 2012 and has risen from a handful of five and six-year-olds to become the leading soccer program in Brooklyn with over 1,400 players. The environment develops players who are confident to be creative, take risks, and be leaders in their communities. Thank you for sharing and subscribing to the podcast and helping it grow. Please keep sending questions and comments. I enjoy the feedback and always get your questions answered by my guests. Don't forget to check out Match Play on social media as well. Hey, good morning, Nate. Um, so this morning we have uh, Nate Bell, who is the founder, director, all things at Park Slope United, um, and uh, started uh, how many years ago, Nate? Eleven years ago now. Eleven years ago. Um, and then when did you add Brooklyn United? We added that um, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And the reason is part of the same club, but what we found, my concept was to get kids started to play and start teaching parents a kind of a different way to, to be part of a soccer club mm-hmm. at a young age. And the double-edged sword is you get them started as toddlers, they can become really good at soccer. And right. But whatever when they're in middle school whatever they were doing as toddlers they don't want to do anymore so (laughs) as the kids in new york were starting to commute on their own to manhattan they didn't want to wear the uniform of park soap united and green and and friendlier colors to their school and around their friends and so we we rebranded those Mm -hmm. middle school and high school ages to brooklyn united and cooler tougher colors and they all want to wear the uniform and tell their friends about it. So mm-hmm. that was kind of mission accomplished. Yeah, well, it is a cool logo. Um, so uh, I like the Park Slope one too, but uh, so yeah, go back to, you know, uh, kind of give us your story and then, you know, your time overseas and then what you brought back to, you know, get things rolling with Park Slope United. Sure. So <clears throat> I had, um, been coaching since I was 14 years old. Started coaching my little sister's rec team um, while being a, a referee of the younger divisions in, in a local local club that I was involved with. And, um, you know, I had, had coached straight through until college. And in college, I was able to get my hands on a travel team for the first time, which, mm-hmm. which I was really excited to buy. Um, wound up doing my master's in sports psychology and at Ithaca College in upstate New York. And I had been coaching a, a youth team for four years. And one of the kids was scouted by the um, the scouts of Dinamo Zagreb, the top Croatian academy and one of the top in, in the world, really. Produced a lot of players, Modric and many more. And so he was 11 and 11 months. And you can't change your country and get a, a, a FIFA approved card to play official matches between 12 and, and 18 now. And so the dad said, let's take this opportunity. This is once in a lifetime. We can send him right now. Um, the only issue is there was a, where he would live was a house with only teenagers and no adults. And he would go to school in a language he didn't speak. And so I took a semester off from my graduate work in sports psychology to become his legal guardian and basically live with him over there. I was a Tottenham fan and we had motors playing for us and I had watched Croatia in the Euros and thought they're doing something different over there. I'm really interested. So this is not all, um, this is not all, this is not all selfless. You know, I thought I was just intrigued and curious of what they did differently and country of under 4 million people, you know, being one of the top five national teams in the world, I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over there, I, I did have the opportunity to do an independent study, got access to coaches and administrators, professional academies, the national team, professional players. I um, was really lucky to, to get hooked up with a pickup game every Monday of majority of the 1998 world cup team and it was kind of them and me um 
I was definitely the worst player there, that's for sure. Um, but they were kind enough to let me, they knew the situation. Young American guy <laughs> is here as the dad to even younger American boy. Kind of. So they took me under their wing and, and as well as they the, did with a boy. And what I came away with was that there really is a different way that they develop players there. And I thought I was going to go there, I, you know, would watch six hours of, of training every day of Dinamo and other clubs while Vince the boy was in school and that I was going to learn exactly what the what the recipe is on the field. And what I came away with was that actually they weren't doing things that differently on the field. That wasn't really the difference. But the way that things were organized off the field among the adults, parents, coaches, administrators, neighbors, people in the general community was quite different than the way things were organized in the United States. And, you know, I sum it up into three three major takeaways that I saw were very different. One being that every club had some sort of curriculum that was followed age by age by all coaches. And regardless of what it was, there was at least something. And players would be with a coach in one year, they would graduate to the next year, they would be with another coach who would follow in the work that the coach did before. Of course, there's going to be turnover of coaches, etc. But at least there was the intention of working in the same line. Um, and instead of one coach believing I do this, and then, you know, they go try to hold on to the team as far as they can, then they move away to another region. Now another coach has it. They take them completely back the other way and back the other way. There's goes six years and, and good luck. You have no future as a player anymore. Wasted six years of your, of your youth time. Second was that every neighborhood had some professional team and, you know, could be a first division all the way down to sixth division, you know, and they all had a youth program. And at every, at every, they all had their own training facility because it had been made so many years before each of these clubs. And at each club, there was a um, there was a, a cafe where the old men in the neighborhood would, would hang out, drink beers, smoke cigarettes, talk about soccer. Um, and the parents of the youth players would sit there, get coffee together, have a good time. There would always be a uh, playground on the side for the younger siblings. So parents could either get some social something social that's positive for their life or they could leave the younger siblings and go do errands and um the the old man neighborhood or the other parents would watch the younger siblings so getting to that point where the kids are independent to me was a lot easier and they're a lot further away from burning out and the third is that every neighborhood had a a futsal court and they were filled with kids the same kids who are following a cohesive curriculum of the parents same kids who are uh, participating in a club um, and no adults were really ever present, different ages, different genders, place for kids to experiment, play, fuel up their, their tank of love for the game. And, you know, all three of these things point to different ways that the adults work together for the benefit of the kids. You know, you can't have a futsal court with no parents around if you believe that there are going to be predators posted up by the court. Or if you believe that the people who live in the houses around won't keep an eye out the window to make sure things are safe. And if someone gets hurt, you know, they'll go take care of it. And, right. you know, so my experience is played at a couple decent clubs coming up, you know, same story as all the other people, five years old or three years old to, 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 unfortunately for me, having really bad injuries of breaking both feet at the end of high school. So that was the end of my serious run, but came up through clubs just like everyone else. And my experience was limited teamwork among the parents, right. as much transaction as possible. And I think what, what I saw is so different from Croatia and America was that in America, I believe parents believe that I'm paying for this service. So I'm expecting that outcome. Just like you would for anything, I get, pay for a coffee. You get a coffee, right. you know. I, I pay for I pay for this book. You get a book. And and the thing is, when you talk about long term youth development through sport, it doesn't work that way. You know, you pay to be on a team. 
you never bring your kid to the team, then they're not on the team. They're mm-hmm. right. You as the customer have a role in creating the experience of the other customer, your kid, and the other parents around. You're all part of creating the experience for each other. So that purely transactional approach, not only is it not what is actually happening, but it's pretty detrimental for the the experience of the kid and their enjoyment and their improvement and how they approach things and you know so when i started the club it was how do we how do we replicate what's found there in croatia in the united states and how do we start from scratch and so my theory was can't just try to find some big boom of uh you know oh we got the branding of some european club and and now we're doing big tryouts and everyone come to us because my theory was anyone who falls for that they're going to fall for it next year somewhere else. And now everybody's going to scatter and you're back to square one, but back to square one with less credibility and less buy-in and less culture. And so my thought was only way to do it is start with kids who've never played before, who are too young to have ever been anywhere and build a cadre of, of kids and parents that agree with this theory that being good neighbors and, and friends of the other parents of the other kids and developing a helpful um, type of culture that had to start from the very bottom. And so started with seven kindergarten kids after 3000 flyers, a hand out by hand, we got our first seven kids, which was really exciting. And the idea was just next year we'll have first graders and kindergartens. The next year we'll have second graders and kindergartens and just however long it takes, you know, this is not a, a get rich quick scheme. This is a get, you know, build slow right. and really long story short, we just followed that. And now we're, we're have sophomores, our oldest generation. Um, but what we have done is we have 3000 kids, we have 50 coaches, we have players who, you know, are in regional around the national team level, but we also have lots of younger siblings or other siblings who aren't going to pursue a, a high level, like, maybe one of the kids in the family, but they can stay part of the program. And mm-hmm. families have met best friends as who, you know, usually don't meet your best friend when you're 45 years old. A lot of parents have met their best friends. Of course, a lot of kids have met their best friends in those younger ages coming up as well. And that's the tide that really is behind the players <laughs> over years and years through their youth development. Yep. Um... Justin Chesham has just joined us, uh, Nate. He's the, uh, like I told you earlier, he's the head men's soccer coach at Christopher Newport University, which is, uh, what are you ranked right now, Cheese? Uh, receiving votes. Receiving votes, okay. Yeah, we tied and got passed by a team that lost, so I'm yeah. still figuring that out, but uh, yeah. so, I don't really care until he, so it doesn't matter. So Nate was just filling us in on um, – how he started the club, spent time in spent time in Croatia, um, and he told he talked about three major takeaways. Before we get into like you growing uh, Park Slope United, um, you talked about like a curriculum that was followed by all the coaches, um, and talk about did they have like an end goal in mind once you reached you know the end of your youth career did was there a certain like bar that they expected to develop a, a player to or um i guess it was always progressing right year after year so talk about like what what their end game was with that well and I, to me i think that that's more club by club you know some clubs dinamo for example where i spent a lot of time they're expecting to send one or two players to the first team that they can sell for, you know, $20 million. And you hear the names year after year. Mm-hmm. That's very different from other clubs where I spend time that are in the second, third division where, you know, producing a player who can play in the first team and help the first team try to get promoted. That's different than from a fifth division team. That's really a neighborhood club. And, and it's making sure that the kids in the neighborhood have a good option and, are excited and want to come watch the first team. And that's most of the fans are, are, are those kids. So 
I think like like us here, the context probably matters more than than the country mm-hmm. when it comes to right. trying to send people on. Yeah. Um, so quick aside, what happened to the boy that you went over there with? Where is he now? So <laughs> that th- there's a little karmic justice because after my year with him, um, the family moved from upstate New York to Croatia. Dad started attending a um, a uh, doctor, a graduate school to become a doctor, which over there was less time and, and could transfer the, the credentials into the United States. And after a couple years, he was no longer invited to Dinamo, moved to Hashk in the second division, still a decent academy, but not at the same caliber. And then the he wanted to move back the boy to the united states so i i had been coaching in the the red bull youth academy and i kind of orchestrated a move for him to join the red bull academy he had been representing us under 14 under 15 under 16 national team at that time and so he lived with another teammate from upstate new york in new jersey who had moved to new jersey and was also with the academy team and he wound up attending rutgers but the dad the rest of the family moved back but the dad was left by himself because he had schooling left so he had kind of sent his son on his own and he's kind of stuck in wilderness and then the dad at the back end had a little experience of that they're all back together now the the son vince turned out really great as a kid went to Rutgers, was a captain four-year starter and um played professionally in slovenia i was really proud to get to go watch a game of his over there and is currently playing in in ireland um in a team in the second division that is in relegation is uh looks to be promoted to the first division in ireland probably 20 what 24 25 now um so pretty good story and a and a guy with his head on his shoulders really well cool um so yeah i go back to um she's just to briefly fill you in so you started off with seven kindergartners and then you moved them up to first graders and they stayed with you you added players i'm assuming to that or are you just keeping that core group and adding players to that in the really, first grade year, generation and every year kindergartners became, as well is that what yeah, the model was preschoolers you know we got younger and younger as people wanted to have their kids play at those ages and then right. just let a group grow and of course people would come and join that group you know and right. as we got older of course it became traditional tryouts and people coming mm-hmm. from other clubs but that took a, that took quite a number of years right talk a little bit about trying to start a soccer club in brooklyn and how difficult like the challenges that were there to make that happen uh every challenge <laughs> yeah um number one with space you know we started with no permits to fields no rentals nothing just kind of like we got 12 kids and blades of grass over here um and you know, there had never been a really top level club in Brooklyn. This is a borough of 3 million people, which is similar to the country of Croatia, going back to my original um, analogy. And um, so many, probably, probably 200 little clubs in Brooklyn. And big reason for that is that there's so limited space and the limited space had been controlled by people who didn't even have clubs but we're selling the space on the black market to little groups. (laughs) So it's just impossible. And, you know, it's changed somewhat, but not, not enough to make things less challenging for us. Um, And so, you know, I believe there, there were a couple clubs that had the like U8 to U18, but none who had, you know, put out a product of, of players and teams that could compete really, New York State, New York City wide, even definitely not Eastern New York, definitely not Northeast. Uh, um, and so it, it, it's been a big challenge. You know, one of the things is that I grew up in the suburbs just north of the city. And if you want to be a professional lifer, you know, coach, you're not expecting to make $300,000. New York City is very expensive to live in. If you want to have a family and do all that, it's much easier in the suburbs. So while the clubs in the suburbs could attract 
coaches with 20 years of experience and in New York City. The people who arrive, they're arriving at 23 years old, you know, with a dollar and a dream. And so we had to, I think it was a cool opportunity for us to, we had to develop coaches. We had to have a very clear curriculum, very clear standards, and and then really work with people, developing them and having built out the program in the way we did was great because you can start someone at the younger and there's a lot of steps to go and hurdles and, and area grow, areas to grow before you're sending your your parents and kids on a road trip with them to a hotel across the country. You know, you want to really trust that people are going to do things the right way before you put them in that situation and and been able to develop a lot of coaches from the very beginning in their early 20s that are, you know, in some early 30s, they've put in eight, 10, 10 years in, into the club and, and, you know, now raising families. That was a hard thing to imagine um starting out and that has been really maybe the most rewarding part yeah um so as you mentioned you studied sports psychology um i want to talk about the third thing that you brought back from croatia which was that every neighborhood had a, a futsal court and it wasn't supervised by adults it was just kids out there playing um, so talk about, <clears throat> from a psychology standpoint, the importance of play and enjoying yourself. And, you know, we've all been in those pickup situations where it's just, it's fun, right? Um, talk about the importance of that. And have you been able to create that there in Brooklyn? We, we have. And, and so as soon as we had teams of any sort, what we implemented was that there was one day a week, they would do two days of team training and one day a week of mixed age pickup. And this was all the teams together. And there were a couple of reasons for this. One was that, you know, within any team, you're going to have a, a prescribed role based on who the other people are, what the coach thinks of you as a player, or you're a right back or, or you're this or that. And parents, you know, in any team, we, we have a whole bunch of teams in the club and there's always the best kids, there's always the worst kids, and there's always the kids in the middle. And parents of the, the, the best kids, across the board is what can be done for my kid. He's the star. Even if it's the sixth team in a generation, he's the star of that team, right? Parents of the worst kids on each team, you know, think maybe it's not fair or, or that they should, you know, get more opportunities to, to develop than they're getting. And, and the parents of the kids in the middle are, are pretty, are pretty happy. Once you, so I think it's important to have that like clear ongoing role, but also to have opportunities to kind of choose your role. So we did start it with, you know, when we have one or two teams, we have those couple teams out there and create new teams. Don't tell the players where to play. They have to decide, all right, I'm the, I'm the defender. You're, I'm the striker. You're, you, you go there, there. And kind of a little bit of a Lord of the Flies of, of who's going to step up. Who's going to listen? All right, you got scored on and your team just went off. Now you got to talk about it. You got to come up with a new lineup. You got to come up with a new um, strategy. Then once we're talking, having, you know, 30 teams, that's a big, a lot of kids on the field. We're talking, you know, over a thousand people on the field at one time, not just players, but parents around the side, younger siblings around. And what's really cool about that is, in Brooklyn, where there's so many people and it's so hard to move around, really, because you don't have a parking lot, you don't, you can't drive there. You got to work with other parents to, to walk over from a school or um, bike over together. What wound up happening was that parents from different teams who never would have interacted with each other, they might have a kid one year younger in the same school. The school has 1,000 kids in the elementary school. They meet each other. It's like, okay, let's share a sitter. Let's walk over here together. And so we did a surveying um, that, that with a third party company that does a lot of soccer clubs around the country. And one thing was interesting is we, we were the only club in the country that they survived, surveyed where the net promoter score was higher for the club than for the coach. And the reason for that is that usually the club is just pissing people off with a lack of scheduling, communication, with rules, uh, you know, 
that type of thing. And the coach is always bringing the good stuff. Like what good could a club do? But once you have people in this context where, all right, it's unbelievable that my kid is not, you know, this bad kid is playing with my kid who's so good. Now, once that's removed and all the kids are out there together playing, one, there's a lot of relief from the parents. We'd always do it on Friday. Parents would bring wine, do picnics out there. And it's just this huge party. And we still do it to this day. And so the connection to the club and, and to the neighborhood that we created, you know, would supersede the, the feeling about like, you can have some context of like, I'm frustrated because my kid is the backup at this position and not playing. But they're part of something and my family's part of something that has value for us, which by the way, in New York City, people don't have this. So, you know, I'm talking about something that is found a lot more frequently in the suburbs where people are already neighbors and know each other. But in New York City, you can often barely know anybody through 18 years straight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I imagine they value, they value it pretty highly to have that sense of community. And, and in essence, you've created what is in Europe, in Croatia that you found where it's everybody looking out for each other. And um, yeah, it's, it's an incredible model that you've created there. Um, now you still lose people, you still mm -hmm. have people who, who move on. But every year, the people who've moved on as our culture has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger about what really matters in our club is community integrity excellence the people who move on are the people who don't value all that helping of each other and mm -hmm. the people who move on are the ones who just absolutely despise any kid who's not as good as their kid right. we're not the club for them and they find it really uncomfortable to be and there are a lot of clubs that they can move to the same couple that they'll move to and for us you know we'd love for people to you know, have values that align with us, but mm -hmm. if they don't, it's better for them to find a place where their values align better and they'll be happier and, uh, and all of that. So, you know, it doesn't mean that it's perfect, but it does mean that, you know, you at least are not fighting to establish what you're about every year, you know? Right. Yeah. And you, you use the word transaction and, um, you know, parents put money in and they expect something out. And and I wrote down, you know, how have you addressed minimizing the transactional nature of youth soccer in, in the US? And I kind of get it. Like you've kind of already answered that, that, you know, you you just create this sense of community where they're they're investing in not only the development of their kid as a player, but the development of their kid as a person. So um yeah, that's fantastic um i have a little uh, analogy well anecdote about that so in the first class that i had you can't believe what i was given i i would had this tiny apartment with a little bike trailer and i had the balls in there and i had um you know little pug goals all the things you would have as a coach going around but i also made a huge pot of of decaf coffee a huge pot of of uh caffeinated coffee and I had all these orange oranges sliced up. I had all the strawberries. And that was set up for the parents with a little note. And it said, like, please enjoy, you know. And there's something about, you know, and if there's anything you want to bring for anybody else, any other parents, you're welcome. A little bit of a potluck thing that I was trying to create. And and the um, then I did the longest evaluation for five-year-olds you'll ever get in the feedback at the end of, of the session. What was interesting is, you know, of those like seven people, I think six returned in, in winter session two, and mm -hmm. each had brought one kid. We had 12. And by spring, all 12 returned, and we were at 24 people. But they had chosen their best friends and said, come, this would be fun. This would be great. Right. This young yeah. guy, you know, with prematurely balding hair is here, <laughs> giving a lot of energy to, to the kids and, and, and all that. And, you know, talk about like the first hundred customers and here's your here's here's who you are is your first hundred employees or customers or whatnot the first hundred were all you know everyone had like three of their best friends there mm -hmm. and that was the club and all people who you know i intentionally didn't mention anything about like level i thought i was pretty good coach for for six-year-olds which i did have more experience than most six-year-old coaches did 
Um, and but we don't talking about being the best competing. Your kid's going to do this, that the message was exclusively about we're going to have a great time with the kids and teach them the best we can. And we're going to have the best people around us and the best community of families. That's what I just reiterated and reiterated. And it wasn't. And the reason why is that I felt anybody who, who was with us for the dream of what the kid could do, we weren't at that stage. We do, we do push that now because at the older ages, we can deliver it, but we wanted people to intentionally pass that message on to people they were recruiting because when you're so small, you're, it's like a paper airplane in a wind, you're going to get knocked off. So we wanted to, to try to have as like gentle of a wind and as straight a a path of of where we're going, at least Mm -hmm. until we got to some level of like flag in the ground culture and, and stability. Right. So how old is that first class now? So the, 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 the first class is, are 2008s. We had a couple 2007 and 2006s, but only enough to form one team mixed across the generations and still at that time not really have enough. So that petered out about five years ago. And so since then, we've been going on with 2008 on the boy side and 2009 on the girl side. Gotcha. Cool. Um, and so when did you add Brooklyn United? So I added Brooklyn United three years ago mm-hmm. um, because the kids who started so young were not inspired by the by Park Slope name and the association with strollers and little kids. And we branded to Brooklyn United um, also because we were attending international tournaments and nationally competitive tournaments. No one knew what Park Slope meant. It meant only something in New York. Brooklyn is something that people know everywhere. Right. Cool. So um, does, this, uh, does this remind you of the East End when we kind of first kicked it off? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So Nathan, we uh, <clears throat> say we coach Shaw, the the previous head coach here. Uh, we kind of branched off of the big club in the area as well. So we were we were about 35, 45 minutes, depending on traffic, uh, away from where the big facility is, and we found ourselves leaving our college practices and driving all the way up there to coach coach kids and we're like man there's so many kids in our area why don't we just stay right here in our backyard and coach the kids that are here and so it was neat we kind of had this little this little field surrounded by like warehouses and a little elementary school and like, nobody even knew it was there i mean it was just kind of this neat little spot that flooded easily and we had to cut it and maintain a lot of it and paint it and um check on it all the time and uh it was kind of like our own little home and it's it's everything that you're describing kind of reminds us of that situation. And we had the same age kids. We had seven, eight, nine year olds at the beginning. And um, as they got older, though, it got to the point where kind of what you were talking about, where kids had different desires, different dreams. They kind of wanted to branch out to the bigger clubs or whatever. So we would lose some kids to bigger clubs or we would combine with the bigger club in the area. And uh, the, the funny thing was uh, we were usually the, the better team. So if we had our area versus the bigger clubs area. Uh, you know, we were branched off of them. Our team would a lot of times be significantly better. And so it, it created a little interesting dynamic in the area, but it's the same idea. It's a pretty cool thing. But what I really want to jump into as soon as we can is uh, what happened to those kids as they got older. So you know how it is when they're seven, eight, nine, all those kids were like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this for a few years. I'm going to be the best player on my high school team as well. I'm going to go off to college and go be a star at UVA. And then I'm going to go play in the pros, probably like D.C. United, Philadelphia, you know, something like this, and maybe go play on my national team. That's what every seven – that's the only path that seven, eight, nine-year-olds are thinking. I got a national team or bust. And then as you get older, of course, you you have a social life. You find a girlfriend. You find a boyfriend. You start driving. You know, like desires change. Like, oh, I, I want to study this in school. Like kids get older in America here, and it's just a little different. It's not like probably in Croatia. You know, like we don't have the futsal court on every corner like in some of these other countries. We have basketball courts or no court. You know, these kids just have completely different lifestyles. And so, you know, kind of why don't you can you jump into kind of what those 08s are thinking? How have they changed specifically the last few years? I mean, I'm recruiting 06s, some 07s. So the 08s are like they're getting now into the well, I need to be thinking about this at least. And maybe you're starting to get some questions 09s for the girls is basically the same as 08s for boys. So 
are you starting to get some of that? Like, what are what's the differences? I mean, what's the transition been like for these kids? And as they've gotten older, what's it look like for what they what their desires are like now? And kind of how are you advising them? Sure. Yeah, they're well. It started last year. Part of the 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 methodology of building the club one year at a time is that you know haven't been involved in it though I'm, I'm i'm not that old been involved for 23 years have some idea of what's coming next because we know exactly the age mm -hmm. that our oldest will be and knowing the things that are going to be important to them which are going to be different you know from when they were younger and right. i see entering high school as the time to start thinking about college where so my advice was to attend college ID clinics, any that you're interested in, especially if they're on a college campus, not because you're going to be recruited as a, a male freshman in high, in, in high school, but because you want to get some experiences under your belt when before you're a sophomore, junior, and you may be recruited more likely at, at those events. And you want to get some comparison among coaches like this is this is how this coach behaves in a clinic setting this is how they behave on the sideline when i go watch their game etc so you have something to compare against because so i was a junior college assistant coach i was a division three head coach and division one lead assistant in charge of recruiting and you know one of the things i, I really counsel the players on is that one you have to want to go to the school if you don't have sports at any point you can break your leg and never play again you don't there's no transferring and going in the portal if you can't play so have an idea of, of what that school is and that you like and two is that just like any job interview the employer is interviewing you to see if you're a good fit you should be interviewing that employer as well and I was a recruiter, you know, trying to go toe to toe with UNC and, and Duke for players, et cetera. You're trying to get the player. You're not going to lie, but of course you're going to try to be convincing. So players should also be discerning about the program, the coaches, the culture and style of play. And is it a good fit for them? You know, because it can be really exciting having somebody a college coach reach out and say, I'm interested in you. I remember when that happened to me too. I was, I, I told my parents I was going to go to some, some polytech engineering school from, from the Northeast. I don't remember the name now. I hated science and math. Then they had no majors that weren't science and math, but I, that's where I told them I was going to go. Cause the coach said, I, I want you to play. And so doing some of that, that um, homework and, and deep thinking in the earlier time, I think is the first step before going into you know a little bit more of the the outbound um communications to them we recently uh began on a platform sports recruits which we've been happy with um which is really for creating the player profiles and managing that communication out to the coaches finding them etc um we also had um, some college coaches come and, and speak with the parents about different levels, division one, two, three, boys side, girls side, what they're looking at and, and what matters to each different type of program and, and, and coach. So they're starting to think about it. They're starting to get interest as well. Um, so it, it's something that every year coming up is going to be a, a different, interesting year. You know, of course, all the high school, what we do is all the younger teams attend the same big tournaments three times a year. Now, all the high school age teams are attending three big showcases. Uh, NEFC, one in the, in, what's it called, New England, EDP in South Jersey Atlantic Seaboard, um, SUSE in New York, and then the teams also can choose to attend more. Some are going to Disney this year, some are going to De Jefferson Cup. I think one's trying to go to Dallas Cup, et cetera. Um, but, you know, as you're finding you, with among the players, people have very different approaches um, and, and expectations as they're going into it. It's been interesting to see. Are, are most of your kids, are they uh, 
I mean, are they like Brooklyn lifers? Have they been there the whole time? Or are you getting kids that are transplants? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of New York is people moving into the area. Um, you know, is there a lot of consistency with that or, you know? Almost all the kids grew up in New York City. Most of the people who, who moved in New York are kind of pre-kid. Um, and I think that those who, who get, who have kids and get jobs that merit moving to New York, oftentimes they'll live outside the city as well. Okay. So these sense. are mostly kids who, who've come up through their whole, whole childhood in, in New York. Are those kids looking at schools to, uh, they want to leave the area? Are you, are you finding that to be pretty consistent? They want to try um, something different? I would say mostly they want I mean, to Pretty leave. much everything's different than New York, <laughs> the city yeah. at least. I would say they mostly want to leave the, um, you know, there's a class element to it as well. A lot of the kids have, have very well-educated parents who, who went to highly reputed schools. And I would say to our community of kids on the whole, there's an interest in going to a high level academic school. Most of the kids do well. We also have other kids who the families don't have money and haven't been to college as well. So, you know, the class element, I think, supersedes geography when it comes to to college, because this is such an important decision that parents have been investing in for so many years. Sure. Um, and and of course, those, you know, looking at the, the top players on a first team in a generation, there are a bunch of players that I think will play Division One, you know, but if you look to a second team, those are going to be more Division Three players generally. Um, so the, the importance of the sport compared to the importance of the academic program is a little bit different when you're looking about a, a division one player versus a, a division three player. What, uh, so, okay. Not, I like that. Um, what, what league are you guys in? The, uh, the first teams play in the national league. Um, and then. The second teams lower will play in the um, will play in EDP. Gotcha. Okay. And are are any of those kids starting to get some calls or any interest? I know that uh, I guess it's none of them are juniors yet, right? Or do you have any juniors? None of them are juniors. The okay. um, the oldest boys are sophomores. So yeah, the kids who have gone out and attended ID camps have gotten you know interest from. That generated out of there you know sure. how it is at, at these big showcases the freshman division is not where the coaches hang out nope you know not a chance so you're gonna have empty fields there of course they're all being recorded it is possible for someone to to see it um but it's just not where you spend your time as a college coach that needs to fill a position um so but this is this is i feel like where it where it turns though because the sophomores they will show up um, and you know, coaches that now have them on the radar will track them and invite them to come back and, and, and whatnot, but it's not in the active phase yet where it's like, all right, I need to make a decision. I need to do this. So what I've been basically doing is just putting out there to all the players that use me. Part of what I like about sports recruits is that myself, I can oversee every email that goes out, every email that comes in from coaches. So it's easy to understand where things stand between players and coaches. And having had the experience at junior college, division three, division one, I, I, I've always valued recommendations from people that I trust, you know, mm -hmm. and trust starts with, do they know the level, you know, as a division one recruiter, there are a lot of high school coaches that would reach out and be like, I got the kid. He's all American, baby. Division one All-American, here we go. Uh, you need this player. You need to come. You need to drive to Pennsylvania to see this player. And I'll be like, let's start with a video of the player. And this is not a Division one player. You know, great for the middle of Pennsylvania, but not a Division one player. And so, you know, part of my hope is that as these things move into active, that I can give some counsel to, to players about, well, what is their answer to this question? What's your feel about this area? Um, and then also for a coach to be able to call me and I'll give them it straight, you know, mm -hmm. where do I see them? How do, 
what is their style of play? How can this player play? And, you know, you don't want a player to go to the wrong school because it's kind of, it can be a traumatic experience. And as a coach, you don't want the wrong player coming in who just is going to behave or, or play very differently than what you need. And that matchmaking, I think, is important because there's a lot of great ways to run programs. But mm. the only great way is having the right people in the program that believe in the way the program is run. You know, kind of to connect a few of the things that you've said so far, um, specifically this last a note a couple minutes ago about the uh, ID camps or, you know, the, those are, you're, you're talking about freshmen and sophomores and you're, you know, sending them to ID camps. And realistically, as a freshman and sophomore, your ID camps should kind of fit in line with what you talked about and before that with doing your research, finding out what type of schools you like. And so if you start with that step, you start with finding out what schools you like, you find, all right, these are the 10 schools that fit the criteria that I'm looking for. I'm looking for, you know, this price range, this location, this academic standard. And I have found, you know, this degrees, these are two or three degrees I'm interested in to, you know, to ask a freshman exactly what they want to study. They probably don't know the answer yet, or, you know, they, they may think they do, but that could change, you know, they're 13, 14 years old. And so, uh, you know, so once they've made that list, now it's time to find ID camps that maybe, maybe there's four or five schools on your list that are going to that one ID camp. And those are kind of your ID camps you want to highlight and all that stuff. And even with that, uh, direct approach, even with that, like smart, like I found a camp that's going to have all the schools that I like, you may still not get recruited as a freshman or a sophomore. It's just, you're, you're really young still, but what, what you're doing really is you're getting on that campus. You're getting in front of those coaches. They, like you just said, I'm not like, I'm a division three coach recruiting kids that are tweeners, D1, D3 tweeners. I'm not watching sophomores, at least not, I'm not going to an event to watch a bunch of sophomores. I'm not going to do that. I may start that as they're going into their junior year. I'll go take a sneak peek on a kid. But really, these ID camps are where they're going to, hey, I'm now on this coach's radar. They're now going to take note of me. And this is what I'll do in my ID camps. I'll say, man, this sophomore is fantastic. And I put him in my sophomore database as a kid to keep up with. Maybe I go to the Jeff Cup. That's in April usually. And I can say, oh, yeah, remember, that sophomore is playing two fields over. He's going to be a junior next year. Let's get a head start on him. You know, like that's where that can begin for you. You're still basically finding your niche, finding what's best for you. And then the other part of this ID camp equation for these young kids, you get to compare yourself to the other kids that are there. There's going to be seniors there. There's going to be juniors there. It's not going to be hard to see which, oh, the head coach keeps talking to this girl. Like, I bet you they like that girl. Let me go play against this kid real quick. You know, she's on the same field as me. Like, oh, I can see why I need to step my game up in this direction or like, oh, wow. Okay. I, I think I'm pretty close to this kid's level. You know, this is a type of school that I should be, you know, looking at. I mean, you could really learn a lot at the younger ages if you really find a highlighted ID camp that makes the most sense. I mean, where, where are you sending your kids? I mean, where, where are they going? Like, what are the, what are the you common know, kid, kids? Have, kids have started um, mostly with the division one ID camps, Fordham, St. John's, Stony Brook around us. Um, kids Are they doing it alone? Descac, like Tufts, Dartmouth, those type of schools, Syracuse, um, Duke. Um, and, you know, what I've told the, the, the kids is first, think about what school you want to go to. Don't just go to any random. There's a million of them. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to waste your money. Where do you actually want to go? And then within those, just like when we talk about with the, the mixed age pickup, you have your role and you, you want to have the experience being better, being worse. If you think that, that you, you can go to Duke, go to the ID camp and see, see you'll see the players that they're flying in from, from Europe because they're serious about actually adding them. See what the level is. See if you can hang with those, with those players, you know, um, and just as you said, you'll see who the coach is talking to. Those are the those are the serious ones that they're they're that's the level that they're trying to recruit. And then also go to go to you think you're you think you're a, a division one player, go to your division three ID camps as well. You might be surprised at the level there as well. Um mm. and you know, I think it's I think it's important to get a breadth of experience. Jeez, and oh, sorry, you know, I think a big part of it as well is you want to be on campuses. 
just like you want to do your your visits, walk around the campus with your parents. No better way to be on a campus in, in reality. You don't want to be on a tour. You want to be walking from the soccer field to the cafeteria. That's the real tour of, of being on a campus, talking with other people, talking with players from the team who might be part of the camp. That's, I think, the most valuable part. Yeah, I, I tell kids all the time, you can tell within five minutes of being on campus what your thoughts are. You don't, you don't, I mean, the official tours are nice. They're going to give you a lot of details. Some of them can be long, uh, tedious at times, but, you know, it's going to give you certain access that just walking around campus, you're not going to get that access. But I always encourage kids, go during the school week, go when kids are on campus, go when they're walking around, changing classes, like you said, going to the cafeteria. And that's when you walk around, you know, just kind of. Be like, feel like you're a part of it. And you'll, you can tell right away, like, what's the feeling here? Do I like this place? Is it pretty? You know, is there something that encourages me? Like, does everybody else seem happy? You know, like uh, one of the things that they talk about here is like, you walk around and people are holding the door for you and, you know, mm-hmm. helping you out and saying hi, like, do you need any help? You know, what type of, uh, you know, interactions are you having with just regular students or just faculty walking around going, you know, from one class to the next or something? And, it tells you such a big story and it, it can happen so quickly. You can walk around a campus and in five minutes, like the place or not like the place. And if you don't like it, get back in the car, go to the next school. I mean, you know, we're, we're lucky. We're on the East coast There's schools mm-hmm. all over the place here, you know, up where you are in the New York, New Jersey. And you know, you, you, so many areas you can go to and hit schools within 20, 30 minutes of each other and knock a day out, you know, spend spring break. I'm going to go spend three days traveling around these areas and I'm going to go knock out a bunch of schools and just, just walk the campus. And if you're a little older, you know, and you've kind of maybe had a little conversation or two with the coach, say, hey, I'm going to be on campus. I'll be here for a few hours. I, I wouldn't mind just coming by. I know you're busy, but I'd like to shake your hand and put a put a face to all these emails, you know, that I've been sending you. It's, it takes three minutes. A lot of coaches are like, yeah, cool. I can spend three minutes with you. No big yeah. deal. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's such an important thing for these 08s and 09s that you're working with here to to make sure that they're making a, you know, I got a really strong list. You said it earlier. Uh, it's, you may break your leg or coach Chesham isn't going to play you. Like that also could happen. You said it in the beginning of the podcast, you have bottom players, top players, middle players. Well, the bottom players don't play in college. It's just the way it is. And, you know, are you going to be happy at that school if you aren't playing, whether it's you broke your leg or the coach isn't playing you. And, you know, if the answer is no, then you're at the wrong place. You got to make that decision before you even commit there. Yeah. And one of the things that I definitely counsel the players on is such a great thing about ID camps is you get an extended period of time with a coach. You get to see them, mm-hmm. you know, how many conversations you have with them. Probably not many. Shouldn't expect many. But you get to see them coaching people maybe for a couple hours, maybe for maybe for an entire day. So you get a, a, a feeling of uh, do do believe in what they believe about the game do you respect their knowledge or are they how do they communicate and oftentimes the players from the college will be counselors or be around or something or just interested because they want to see if there's a players there who could help the program and what a great opportunity to really learn asking the players about their experience in in the school and with the in the program and with the coach and i feel like that's where you're going to get the best the best information because you know the formality of one of these official or quasi-official visits you know getting a getting a 45 minute lunch to to ask a current player about the program you're gonna know you know if they absolutely hate it they're not gonna completely lie you know they're gonna drop some nuggets to, to 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 think about and if they love it they're gonna rave about it you know and and you'll know Yeah, it's also um, important that, you know, kids are honest with themselves and they they're getting like a full 360 eval of who they are as players and, you know, what they want to accomplish. And, you know, like Cheese talked about um, the bottom players, are you willing to be patient and and grow yourself personally and athletically to, you know, eventually figure in, you know, two, three years into into your career? Um, and are you willing to be a good teammate while you're not playing and that sort of thing? Are you going to continue to bring a positive attitude? So, yeah, it's super important to be honest with yourself and, and do a good self-assessment of what you're willing to go through. Right. So, um, 
Go ahead, yeah. G. Sorry, didn't mean to. No, no, no. I, I didn't have, I didn't have anything much there. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about the transfer portal a little bit, and we talk about kids that might be unhappy and what that means. And uh, you know, let's let's say like, because I've advised a lot of kids, kids that I've coached before that I necessarily wasn't, you know, recruiting or was doesn't matter. Um, but let's say let's say they're at the perfect school academically, perfect school financially. They love the place, and yeah. they're not playing. Okay, well, what is what do you do? Well, how do you handle that? And you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time here, it's it's like if this is the perfect place for you, are you are you doing absolutely everything that you can do to get on the field? And if the answer is yes, then well, there's nothing to worry about anymore. It's out, it's out of your control now. I mean, it, you're you're giving the coach everything to think about. The coach is going to have to make a decision, and now you have to now you have to decide like this is it. Like this is where I want to be. I'm giving everything I have. When I leave here and I graduate. I'm not going to have any regrets. Even if I didn't play, I'm not going to have any regrets. I mean, it's funny how I feel like that thinking is gone. You know, I, I think a lot of kids nowadays don't think like that. A lot of kids nowadays are like, well, I'm not playing. This, screw this place. And it's like, wait a minute. Every other box was checked. Everything was perfect. You're, in, Are you playing your best? If you can answer yes to that answer, well, then what's the problem? You know, yeah, you're not playing, but where are you going to go that's better than this? It checked every single box. And there's a lot of kids that, that I find that, I'm like, why, why are you upset? Like, what's the problem here? And I know you're not playing. I get that. You know, it's that, that immediate gratification here that we talk about with kids nowadays. And, you know, you know, Scott, to your point, talking about kids that are willing to still be a good teammate, still grind through it, maybe not get on the field till their senior year, but then have a great senior year. I mean, you're not going to see too many of those stories anymore because these kids like, I didn't play as a freshman. I'm out of here. And I mean, even now, like we're a division three school and I got kids that, preseason comes and goes like, what do you mean? I'm not starting. Like, well, you're, you've been here for 12 days. Like, what do you mean? Like they haven't earned it. They haven't given it up yet. Like, what are you talking about? So it, it it's, it's, I, I wish that that would come back. I wish that that, like, I'm going to, this is where I want to be. And if it takes me three and a half years, it takes me three and a half years. I'm going to give you everything I've got and I'm going to become a better person, a better soccer player. And you know, the program's going to get better because I'm giving it everything I've got, whether I'm on the, the game field or not. And, I would love to see that attitude come back. I think that that's gone. And that's, that's sad to me, you know, and I, I, I hope that your kids are, you know, they're thinking about it now. It's like, well, I hope you pick a school that doesn't include you saying, if I don't, if I don't work, if it doesn't work out here, I'm going to leave right away. Like that's just such a frustrating thought process for a 15 year old kid. You know, it's just such an annoying, frustrating process that hmm. unfortunately we deal with all the time. How do you, how do you, kind of weed that out in your recruiting process what are the questions you're asking or what are you looking for because of course you want people who are committed to something beyond their own you know playing time sure sure so it's a little easier as a division three school because it's not like well i'm not playing at this division three school let me leave and go to a division like you're not going to transfer up you know it's just not as common so it's a little different but I mean, for us, we're we're very adamant about being honest all the way through the process. I mean, if I really like you as a player and I think you're going to help us play, I tell you. If I don't think you're going to help us play, I tell you. If I like you, but there's guys in front of you, I tell you. I tell you every single thing. There's no coming into my program and you're like, wait a minute, why are there six young center backs? Why would you know? They they would know that. They would know that all the way in the beginning. I've I've brought in kids that I really liked. Because they're really good kids. A lot of them are local kids that I've known for a while, but I've been told in process, man, I like you. I, I think you're an awesome kid. I don't know if you'll ever play for me, but this seems to be the perfect fit for you. And if you want to battle and grind it out for four years, then I love you, man. Come on. I'll give you a spot. They knew that on the front end. So I think the, mm -hmm. the honesty is there. You have to be as honest as you can with these kids. And, you know, for the kids, they have to try to get that honesty. You know, too many kids just they get a conversation, they'll hear a couple of notes and they're like, that's all I needed. Uh, if I play the best, I play like, well, of course, that's the, that's the rule across the world. Right. I mean, like, are, is it really the chance though? Are you really going to get that chance to play? Or are you just being brought in to be player 35 and help the GPA of the program? You know I mean? We all recruit and we all kind of go into our class and think this kid's going to be at the bottom. This kid's going to be in the middle. This kid's going to be at the top. Like we're going to have to develop this kid and, you know, division one, they'll bring in kids. And they're like, we'll probably have to redshirt them right away. It's like, okay, that's fine. You know, but are we, are they telling you that? Are they being honest with you? Or you, do you know that that's a possibility before you even get there? And so, you know, to answer your question, like that's the number one thing for us is the honesty. 
And then on, on, on the other side of that, it's like, well, what about all the other boxes? You know, like, is this a perfect fit for you academically? We've had kids that want to study a certain major and I've been like, well, we don't have that. So if that's what you absolutely want to study, I'm sorry, you can't come to Christopher Newport. You know, like you need to hear that. I mean, you just said yourself, like you wanted to go to these science and tech schools and you didn't want to study science and tech. It's like, all right, well, don't go to those schools. You know, it's, um, you know, you figure that out, of course, but that's the advice you need to, you need to be receiving, you know, as a, as a kid. And, uh, you know, we don't let a kid commit to us unless every box is checked. You know, like, do you think that this is home? Do you love it here? And if that answer is yes, and then the soccer works, then it's time to talk. What's your jersey number? What's your shoe size? Let's let's start getting this thing done. And uh, you know, so that's the easiest way for us to weed people out. Of course, it's it's never perfect. Someone's going to get here, and something changes in their life or whatever. And so we'll lose a kid from from time to time. But you know, our retention rate, our graduate rate is pretty high, and I think it's because of the honesty when they're 16, 17 years old before they even get to us. And I think that that honesty integrity aspect is something that you know is maybe one of the best indicators of the quality of the experience over the course of the college time i feel like you know a lot of players i know really hated the the the, the coach and the school that they went to usually because they felt like they had been lied to or yep. misled about about coming and to be honest yes it does happen all the time um yeah. And it's great that you're having those frank conversations. And I think you have a lot a lot fewer issues and especially fewer issues from the players who aren't playing and, and aren't the ones contributing the goals and assists and to, to the team on the way. When I was um, doing the recruiting for the Division One program, LA Brooklyn, the, there were a lot of players who would say, oh, okay, we want to come. Like, we don't have any scholarship for you. You probably won't play. And say, no, I still want to come. Okay. Okay. This is how much it costs here. How much do your parents make? Like right. this room, it's like don't come here. You cannot yep. afford to come here without without a significant scholarship, and you will not right. receive that. However, there was a, a HEOP, a higher education opportunity program, that if players made below a certain amount, they would have all academics paid for, and these were local kids who could stay at home, and yep. they could come for free, and it would fit be an amazing opportunity for the family. And there were a number of similar kids who, who also didn't play, but what the program and what the school did for them and where it catapulted them at, at the end of four years was very different from somebody who's bankrupting their family mm. and going to have to transfer it in a year or two, if they don't, don't get a scholarship. And, you know, it, it it's, when players can find coaches who are honest with them, especially with the hard conversations, no better sign than that. Yeah, no, I agree. And now there's uh, so many schools have those types of programs that you just mentioned. So many of them. I mean, there's, you know, millions and millions, billions of dollars, not, not being used in scholarship money. And it, those aren't, titled athletic scholarships. I mean, those, that money is obviously going to go quick, but the, there's so many programs out there that so many kids can qualify for, and they're not, they're not doing their research. And so um, I would imagine that most kids would qualify for scholarship money at, at a lot of schools, especially private schools. You know, that's a, that's a, such a great program. If you're a local Brooklyn kid and you can go to that school for free and live at home. So your room board and academics are paid for. I mean, you get to graduate with no debt. I mean, what a what an awesome thing. I mean, how many people are struggling with debt now because of uh, their academic decision? It's a tough one. You know, they they had all the the right intentions. You know, like I'm going to go get a degree in this. I want to study this. I'm going to go be a uh, you know whatever job that that leads me into. But how many people would change their mind now today if they can go back to when they were 17, right before they you know took out that loan or whatever? How many would do it? I, I think that number is pretty big. At least it's it's not zero, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, cool. I, we're right up at an hour. Um, I want to be respectful of your guys' time. Um, Nate, uh, anything else that you'd like to? Uh, I, we'd love to have you back on when uh, kids are getting you know committed to colleges and and just talk about their process and and, and all that you've. 
watched them from the very beginning, which is really cool. Um, yeah. Thanks for yeah, having me on. It was good, 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 good to chat about. Um, and appreciate you you sharing this information with with parents and and players. There definitely is a lack of education. You know, mm -hmm. I think about how little conversation was had about taking out loans going into college, and so many people I know who massively in debt from college and <laughs> maybe had zero conversations about what being two hundred thousand dollars in debt or 100,000, what that would mean for your choices afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while this isn't that conversation, talking about how to actually find the right program that is going to be a major part of your going from, from youth to adult, it, yep. if you really care about the sport, I, I think it's important work. So keep up the good work, guys. Nathan, uh, you gotta send me send me some film, send me some highlights on your top 08s. All right, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, you know, give me a reason. I got a buddy that lives in Astoria, so uh, okay. I don't know how close that is to you guys. I'm assuming I can hop on a train and and be there in a few minutes. So, you know, I'd love to have like, oh man, I I gotta get these two kids, and I'll come up and uh, I'll go stay with my buddy, and we can go grab a beer, and I'll go watch some soccer. Well, we'll watch the soccer first, and then we'll go grab a beer. So. Yeah. I want to come hang out with uh, and and watch futsal and drink wine with the parents. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds like a blast. <laughs> so sounds good. Okay, cool. Uh, hold on one sec. Let me hit stop. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Match Play. I hope you found it informative and enjoyable. Thank you to Nate Bell for joining us. And as always, thank you for sharing and subscribing to the podcast and helping it grow. I always enjoy your feedback, so send me your questions and comments, and I'll always try to get those answered by my guests. And don't forget to check out Match Play on social media as well. See you on the trail.